0: Check one, two. All right. Good morning, Renewal family. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. I, I uh, primarily work with the college students, and so during these summer months, it's a little bit more toned down. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's my joy to uh, share the word uh, with uh, for us this morning. Uh, happy Father's Day again to all of you. Uh, this is now just my second Father's Day as, a, as an actual father myself. Uh, and to kind of look back on the past uh, year and a half or so of raising Stephen, uh, my son, together with my wife, Pearl, um, it has been such an intensely uh, tiring, you know, like as Addison uh, pr- uh, kind of led in our intercessory prayer, uh, intensely tiring, uh, but intensely powerful experience of uh, kind of learning about selfless love and my own limits just as a person, um, learning what it means to truly depend on God for, you know, strength and energy and wisdom and love, and so, uh, but just a wonderful journey to be on, and so... Um, Uh, And additionally, um, and I'm actually reminded uh, this year and this morning, uh, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, I'm up here as a, you know, to kind of give the message, but I'm reminded about how Father's Day is not just about the literal dads, uh, but within the covenant community, you know, the church, uh, how even a day of celebrating fathers is all about how all of us encourage one another um, and encourage Uh, especially parents of, you know, young kids, and especially, especially us first-timers who, you know, are kind of dealing with our first kids. Uh, So really thank you to all of you who have kind of uh, been faithful to your membership vows of assisting in, you know, fellow families uh, within our church of raising our little ones. Uh, Whether you realize it or not, uh, so many of you guys... Uh, have been such a huge blessing to me in my fatherhood, uh, for my family. Uh, even if, you know, very indirectly, even if you have no idea that you are a source of encouragement. Uh, so really, thank you. Uh, it, it truly does take a village. I found that to be very, very true. And so Father's Day is not just for uh, us fathers, but but Happy Father's Day to, to really everyone, in a sense. So we are continuing in our series through looking at the person and work uh, of the Holy Spirit Uh, And this week, we'll look at the Spirit upon the church, the Spirit upon the church. Uh, What we see about the Holy Spirit being poured out at Pentecost, as we just had uh, Leo read for us, and how it reminds us uh, what the Holy Spirit is doing in the church, even today, even for us right now. Uh, When we think about the Holy Spirit, we often think, at least for me uh, personally, we often think more in personal terms, more in individual kind of terms, uh, which isn't wrong, right? The Holy Spirit is... Uh, uh, indeed, it uh, does work in deeply personal ways uh, in each of our lives, but perhaps uh, in our kind of consumeristic tendency, uh, we rarely think beyond that and think about how the Spirit works in the body of believers, works in the church as a whole. Um, and so, as we just read, we'll look at what, uh, took, what, lo- what that looked like at Pentecost uh, and how that informs what we are to understand about the Holy Spirit upon the church uh, today. Even. And so let's bow one more time in a word of prayer and then we'll um, uh, jump into the word. God, we ask that you would um, open up our hearts and minds. Lord, we want to hear from you. Uh, we want the Spirit to be moving uh, even in our midst even now. Lord, without the Spirit, we are unable to understand the Word, to know you, to grow in you, to be fed. By these precious words that come from you and so lord we we wholly depend on you to speak through uh, your servant and, and uh, to open up each of our hearts and minds so that we may uh, grow in our christ-likeness grow in our holiness grow uh, in a missional heart uh, in line with yours and so do all these things uh, this morning in jesus name i pray amen well as we had this uh, uh you know, portion of Acts 2 read for us, we see uh, this very dramatic scene. It's a very famous scene. Perhaps you're familiar with this passage already uh, about how the Holy Spirit being poured out onto believers, um, uh, w- this thing that was promised by Jesus and even the prophets of Old Testament, how this all played out in this, in this kind of dramatic moment, right? The word Pentecost actually indicates the festival that was being celebrated at that time. So Pentecost was not a name given to this event after the fact. It actually was something that was already being celebrated. It, it literally just means 50th uh, in Greek, which signified the 50 days after Passover, uh, which is when the festival would kind of take place. And um, and in our instance, in this Pentecost, it was 50 days after the crucifixion, which lined up with the Passover. Uh, and it was, a, it was a time of celebration for God's kind of goodness uh, to celebrate that uh, during the current harvest for God's faithfulness, you know, towards the people, and at some point in Israel's history, it also kind of adopted this extra meaning of celebrating God uh, giving the law to the Israelites uh, at Mount Sinai, to giving the Ten Commandments. But Pentecost, as we know it today, uh, from this instance that we read at, uh, signified the Holy Spirit being unleashed in a totally unprecedented way. You see, while this isn't the first time that the Holy Spirit's mentioned or taught about in Scripture, uh, it's not the first time that, we're introduced, that the Holy Spirit is introduced to us as readers of Scripture, um, we do see that there were unique ways that he was now going to operate uh, to relate to people from this moment onward. Right? It, it wasn't the first time we meet the Holy Spirit in, in the Bible, but it was the first time that he would kind of uh, start operating in a, in a particular unique way. It was totally different than it had been in the past, even in the old. In the Old Testament, right? In the past, as we looked at all the, uh, as we look at all the kind of different Old Testament teachings on the Holy Spirit, we see um, these three things, right? First, that the Spirit of the Lord was limited to certain people, right, in in the Old Testament, right? The king, you know, at any given time might have had the Spirit, uh, but his military general or his maidservant would not necessarily have the Spirit in the same sense. Uh, The prophets had the Spirit, but Kind of ordinary people during Israel's history did not. Second, the Spirit would be withdrawn from people uh, at times. Right? Just because he was with an individual did not guarantee that they were sealed, with, uh, sealed in communion with the Holy Spirit for good. Right? We see that in Samson and Saul when they each gave themselves over to disobedience and, in se- and Scripture says the Spirit departed from them. And then third, some commentators even generalize kind of the way that the Spirit related to people uh, up until this point as largely kind of sub-personal, not completely impersonal or cold or kind of robotic, but comparatively, he didn't operate in and through the individual in a deeply personal way that we kind of understand now. And setting the scene for kind of how profound uh, this moment at Pentecost was even further, by the end of the Old Testament period, uh, the Spirit seemed to be kind of past history altogether. Right? He wasn't overtly involved in kind of human affairs uh, any longer. But during some of the prophetic ministries of Israel's history, prophets like Joel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, they prophesied that in the end times, the Spirit of the Lord would come again and would be widely disseminated, that it would be, uh, he would eventually return in a profoundly different way. That's, that's, that's what happened at Pentecost And onward even till today when the spirit was poured out on the disciples and the followers of christ at pentecost like the prophets of old and even jesus himself uh, promised that he would it marked a new era for the church for the people of god it was the birthday of the church at least as as we know it today the church uh, as it's marked by the holy spirit all right these three kind of disadvantages or restrictions from the old testament period were wonderfully lifted and removed what we see happening at pentecost and onward even to us uh, today and really all throughout the book of acts right is that one the spirit was now available to one and all not just particular individuals in in particular you know positions the spirit was now available to one and all and second he's now never to be withdrawn from true believers we are sealed with the holy spirit and three uh, we understand him as being this deeply personal to the individual, but also to the collective body uh, of believers as well as being deeply personal. Right? These benefits of the Holy Spirit mark uh, the period of redemptive history uh, that we still find ourselves in today. Right? We're still in the general period of redemptive history some 2,000 years later. Right? Whether we regularly acknowledge him or not, the Holy Spirit, the fact is we as individuals and the church would simply not be where we are today without the Holy Spirit and his essential, vital work in us. All right, one commentator puts it like this. Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, no Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit, and no effective witness without his power as a body without breath is a corpse so the church without the spirit is dead when we fail to recognize that the saving faith that we have and the fruit that is born in and through our lives when we fail to recognize that that's all by the spirit then we probably have too high of a view of ourselves right when we don't acknowledge Uh, the Holy Spirit in these things, when we don't think it's God at work in us to produce these things, then we probably have too high a view of ourselves, whether we kind of consciously think that or not. Something I really appreciated kind of learning in my study this week was was this. Some consider the sending of the Holy Spirit as the final act of the saving ministry of Jesus before his second coming, that is. He was born into our humility, our humanity, I'm sorry, lived our life, died for our sin, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven, now has sent His spirit to His people to constitute them His body, and to work out in them what He had accomplished for them fully. Right? Many of us could probably articulate Jesus's ministry, aka the gospel, uh, including most of those things, right? Jesus taking on flesh, Jesus living the life that we were meant to live, dying to death that we were meant to die. Uh, being raised from the dead, ascending into heaven and into glory. But that's just a story of something that happened that took place until the sending of the Holy Spirit after these other things took place, right? Until he enables us to believe that with our souls so that we could have salvation. In other words, the effectiveness of uh, the gospel message is in a sense missing something if we omit the fact that the Spirit is the one who actually works out saving faith in the heart of the person hearing that good news right the sending of the spirit upon uh, the chosen the elect was the final act of redemption that jesus did in order to save us until he comes again that is that's how essential the holy spirit is to believers is to the church in all of this and so the time between jesus's first coming way back when and his return, which hasn't happened yet, it's not empty. This time in between is not empty. It's not mindless waiting, kind of, you know, just a mundane killing of time until Jesus comes back and the real things finally happen. It's full of the Holy Spirit and full of mission. That's what marks this period of redemptive history that started at Pentecost and continues on even today. Holy Spirit and mission. Holy Spirit and mission. The church is called to play a huge role in that. Uh, Pastor Q mentioned this in his sermon earlier on in the series, but Pentecost was the reversal of the curse of Babel that we read uh, very early on in scripture, right? When man in his arrogance tried to rely on kind of, you know, their own power to reach God, God scattered the people of earth and divided their languages. And here in our passage, One of the major implications of the speaking of different tongues and and people from all over being able to hear miraculously the mighty works of God was that the curse of Babel was now being lifted. Instead of man trying to reach up to God, God had come down to us in Jesus, and now by the Holy Spirit, he would reach all throughout the world, to every nation, to every people and language. Instead of being scattered, we're now being gathered by God. And the exciting thing is that the way God is carrying out his mission to do this, to draw people to himself, is through the witness-bearing church. Not the perfect church, not the sinless, flawless, you know, always on our A-game church, but the witness-bearing church. We not only see this at Pentecost, uh, but if you read the rest of the chapter and about the 3,000 conversions that famously happened that day, but in the entire book of Acts, and the entire book of Acts can be summarized like this, witness-bearing as the primary task of the church and the spirit as the enabling, uh, as the enabling gift. Witness-bearing as the primary task of the church and the spirit as the enabling gift. And so for the rest of our time, I wanted to just take a look at uh, this theme of the Holy Spirit upon the church as these two kind of functions play out. Okay? First, the witness-bearing be- uh, witness as the primary task of the church, and second, the spirit as the enabling gift. Now, perhaps when you think about the church being, you know, witness-bearing, right, the church bearing witness, you think about what's happening, you know, right now in this very second, right, the preaching of the Word of God, and certainly that has, that is a crucial part of bearing witness um, to the gospel, and, and, you know, as we have heard at length in this series, it's one of the primary ways that the Holy Spirit works, right, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, they work together powerfully. But the church being on mission as witness-bearers is not only for preachers to preach, and kind of you know cg leaders to teach and that's it bearing witness is for everyone in the church it's for everyone in the church one helpful definition i found for uh what it means to bear witness is that it's an act of giving evidence to confirm the events happened and the things said right an act of giving evidence to confirm the events happened and the things said in other words it's when you it's when what you say and what you do shows that indeed the gospel is true that the gospel is real that salvation and new life is indeed for real in jesus christ does your life point to that truth let me simply ask that does your life point towards that because as a church that's what we're on mission to do and how we're on mission to live out when people come to church expecting only to be born witness to to receive something. That's, that's that consumeristic mindset, and it's not what the gospel and the Holy Spirit is, is, is all about. Right? If you want an image of the, of the Spirit not at work in a church, you can think of a church that's full of people who come week after week, faithfully, but it's just to kind of simply check off their Christian to-do list right, of virtue, and then they get on with their lives. But at Pentecost, we see the Holy Spirit truly upon the church, empowering her pentecost was in some regard the first revival of its kind certainly you know some aspects of it were exceptional right like the sound of rushing wind the sights of fire and the miraculous kind of languages that were spoken and heard yet there were other aspects of pentecost that made this revival profound as well the the new life that they lived together the joy the fellowship and worship the freedom and the boldness the radical generosity, the love that they had for one another. These things were present and part of what the Spirit was doing, and they're for us too. They're for us too. Right now, with that said, it's easy to look at this and kind of, if you're like me, all we take away at times is some superficial idea of, you know, John thirteen, thirty five, you know, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Right? We love we love that verse. But the call of Pentecost, the way it ought to encourage and challenge us as the church is not that we just be this kind of insular, inward-facing, comfortable, board game-playing community that loves one another in, in a kind of shallow way, and then magically the world's going to repent and be revived, Right? And if that sounds harsh, please know, I'm, I'm preaching that to myself first and foremost. I, I love you know having fun, hanging out with church friends, and I need to remind myself to be intentional in, in that and, and beyond that as well. But again, if we think we're fulfilling Jesus' call to love one another in a radical, countercultural way in John 13, if we think we're living out the deep fellowship that the church from Acts experienced together in, that we read from, if we think we're doing these things by loving one another in a just a shallow way and that's it, then we are misinterpreting what the spirit is intending to do in and through the church, even today. The fellowship that the church in Acts experienced was costly, radically generous, and it was centered around an eagerness to learn from the apostles' teaching, to learn from the word of God. And it was around prayer and worship Right now, so am I saying that having fun is is bad and saying you shouldn't do that? No, that, that's not what I'm saying. That summer connections are, you know, vain unless at some point someone you know breaks out into a sermon. No, that's not and during the goat roast. Maybe I don't, that's not what I'm saying. Right, but if we are to be the church on spirit-led mission, we have to be intentional and thoughtful, and loving, in all the ways that God calls us to be loving as the church. All right, two two questions you can kind of just you know ask to uh, assess yourself a little bit as you relate to those around you one are your existing relationships and your friendships growing deeper right are existing relationships and friendships with you know fellow people within the church fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are they growing deeper and secondly are you getting to know and bless others that you haven't before even within the church Are your existing relationships and friendships growing deeper, and are you getting to know and bless others that you haven't before? Do you challenge your fellow brothers and sisters when they need it, perhaps when they're in sin? Do you pray for one another and hold each other accountable in growing in holiness? Do you ask others to pray with you and to hold you accountable rather than withdrawing whenever things get uncomfortable or inconvenient? Think back to my time uh, in college uh, when I was in RCF, as a student of RCF, and one of the most formative times in, my, in all of my spiritual life uh, was this summer when I grew alongside a fellow brother, right, just, you know, a friend within RCF, um, and there was nothing spectacular about, you know, kind of what happened, right? We would hang out a lot, we would have a lot of fun, um, and we would get together to do our Bible reading for the day, we were going through scripture. And then uh, we would just physically get together, go through scripture, and then talk about what we read uh, and, and kind of what we were reflecting on. And then we shared prayer requests and prayed for one another. And I, and I think to this day, that was one of the most formative seasons of my life. Right? Or I think about my relationship with Pastor Dan, right? who's kind of like a spiritual father to me. And how through the years, we've had many conversations where he would bring up things that were challenging or kind of uncomfortable for me to talk about, but that I, in you know, all brutal honesty, needed conversations that were necessary. And I know spiritually I wouldn't be here today without that kind of challenging, pressing love from that brother. Are you bearing witness in these ways towards one another? Are your actions and speech to fellow brothers and sisters within the church testifying about who God is? Does it point to the reality of the gospel? Is there also witness bearing that's outward facing, right? Because witness bearing is obviously not just an inward thing, just within our church, but is there witness bearing that's outward as well? Doing this work in a missional way means that we don't just seek to improve relationships within the church, but that we intentionally bring the good news outward to people who don't yet believe, to people who are broken, to our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, even our families. Do our lives cause those around us to wonder what makes us tick? What makes us have joy? What gives us hope in challenging times? Peace in painful times? Why we participate in certain things? Why we don't participate in certain things? Do our lives cause those around us to to wonder about that? And, And doing this, living very intentionally for those around us to see Christ through our lives, is important, but also are you also ready to share the gospel at some point with them? Do you seek and pray for opportunities to actually use your words to share the gospel with those around you? You know some missionaries share about how they prefer being overseas than, than back in America where they're from, because in a sense it's easier to remain focused and on mission and intentional when you're on the mission field overseas, where perhaps the gospel has not reached yet. Right? Even with the overt challenges that they may be facing in some of these really challenging areas, um, the challenge of complacency and comfort and consumers and back here in America, is it makes it far too easy to kind of lose focus of this call. I challenge the college students all the time. I tell them uh, to build up the skill of sharing the gospel. Right? It's important to be able to articulate your faith to someone who may ask or is open to hearing about it, right? We, we can do all the intentional living we want to make others curious about kind of, you know, what we believe and, and why we do the things that we do. But when it comes time to share about our faith, are we, are we ready to share? Are we ready to clearly articulate that? Can you explain your testimony of how you came to faith in a clear way? And can you explain the simple gospel message in a cohesive and clear way to someone if they were to ask? What we learn from Pentecost is that this is the time that the Holy Spirit is operating on mission and we would do well to be as equipped, to be focused, intentional, and eager to be in line with his missional heart. Lastly, the Spirit as the enabling gift in this, in this kind of dance, right? That the, that the witness bearing uh, is the primary work of the church and the Spirit now as the enabling gift for that. The Holy Spirit is the only one who truly changes hearts to believe in Christ. It's not something we can muster up on our own. Right? I said this earlier, but notice how the Spirit is the one who leads and initiates the revival in Acts. Right? They were gathered together, but the Spirit you know, inexplicably and suddenly appeared and filled the believers' hearts. It wasn't something that they contrived, that they manufactured. Right? They didn't gather in order that something like this would happen. The Spirit decided to act then and there and all of this wonder kind of ensued perhaps most fitting is the last section of this chapter that we didn't read together where it talks about the radical generosity the the dedication uh, to the apostles teaching and all these things that the believers were doing in those early days and during this revival period but the last sentence of chapter two brings it back to god and his sovereignty it says the believers were doing all these things, all these great things and encouraging things. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We can do all the right things. And we should do them. But at no point is the mission of God dependent on us, on our success. It's the Spirit who changes hearts. Even the most clear and eloquent presentation of the gospel in and of itself will not save. The Spirit is the one who convicts us of our sin and of our need for Christ. Not a persuasive explanation or an intense guilt trip. The Spirit is the one who gives us faith to believe in the saving message of the gospel. The Spirit is the one who helps us feed on the word of God regularly. He's the one who creates holy fellowship within the church so that revival can happen. The Spirit is the one who sanctifies us to become more and more like Christ. None of these things are on our own. Calvin describes the Holy Spirit of Christ as the key that unlocks for us the treasures of the kingdom of heaven. The Holy Spirit is the key that unlocks for us the treasures of the kingdom of heaven. Right? What good is all the treasure in the world if it's locked away in an kind of unbreachable vault. And, like, and likewise, what good is, he, is this story of redemption if the Spirit does not enable our hearts to believe in it for salvation? But church, the Spirit has been given to us for that purpose, to all of us. He was poured out for all at Pentecost. He's at work in each of our lives right now. And as the church who has been given the spirit of God, we should be emboldened by this truth that he's the one who actually changes heart. That shouldn't make us lazy, complacent, passive. That should embolden us as the church. It should utterly humble us that God's doing the glorious work of saving sinners and sanctifying saints, right? It should utterly humble us that in that work that he includes us, that he includes broken, imperfect people like us both as recipients of it, but also as the means to further accomplish his mission. Right? We get to be instruments in the hands of the ultimate artist unfolding the most beautiful, glorious story of redemption. We are the tools in the hands of the ultimate healer who brings dead souls to new life in him. When we start seeing the Spirit move as he did in each of our lives, And as he did even at at Pentecost, we ought to be bold in our generosity, in our speech, and in the decisions that we make in life. We ought to be bold in faith. Because we see a God who is working out something glorious. And we don't have to focus so much on trying to keep everything to ourselves, trying to secure everything for ourselves. We're taken care of. And we get to be part of something that God is doing. Something so much greater than having a secure financial situation, having the most comfortable lifestyle possible. Being the church on spirit-led mission means we often ought to be on our knees in both humble reliance and in fervent prayer. And as the spirit meets us, as he fills us, as he empowers us, we go forth with radical boldness so that the kingdom of God would advance That the Lord may use us to add to our number day by day those who are being saved. That's what we want to see. A commentator puts it like this We are bidden, therefore, not to develop a mindset of the Christian press button designed to acquire gifts, but of the Christian walk which is designed to produce holiness. That is the supreme aim of the Holy Spirit, the way of the church. The way of the Spirit, the way of evangelism, involves the costly following of a crucified Savior. In other words, the purpose of the Spirit's coming to the people of Jesus is not primarily to to give us gifts, spiritual gifts, though he does that. But it's to produce in us Christ-likeness of character, a people who are like their Lord. He wants to make us mature in our Christian discipleship. And by his presence, by his power, by his gifts, he offers us the resources for that supreme vocation for Christian disciples this side of heaven. And further, he calls the church to be the vessel of mission so that the same benefits that we've received and that we're growing in even right now, the saving message of Jesus wouldn't just stay here and be about us within these walls, but that it would go forth into all the world and that lost sinners would come home that people living in darkness would be brought into the light. Brothers and sisters, the Spirit is the lifeblood of the church, of believers through all of history, saints of old, you and me and those all over the world today, in this moment right now, and even those who have not yet believed but will. You know, as we align our hearts as a body of believers to his mission, what he's doing May we be strengthened in our faith and used mightily so that the glory of God may fill the whole earth. Let's pray.